Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Tux Digital Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Zen 4, AMD's Ryzen 7000 series. Lisa Sue took the stage again. It was pretty awesome. We're going to give you all the details and rundown here. Then we head to Camera Corner, where Wendy's going to discuss going retro, yay or nay. So sit back, relax, and plug in, because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been up to in the world of tech? First of all, I got a new storage drive, which is finally I pulled the trigger and got one after I asked Ryan, I don't know, 34 times, which drive, is this a good one or whatever? And 36, I but who's it. counting? 36, you know? oh, okay, my bad. Next time, I'll keep track better. So I got a new SSD, and I, I'm no longer in the realm of do I have enough data? I mean, I need to get more storage because you can never have too much storage, but I'm now at a point where I don't have to worry about hitting the threshold or the red line cuz like I do every week. I still need to do some swapping over of the drives in order to use this optimally, but I'm I'm happy that I I did get it and I opened it and I used it and everything. To be fair, I actually saw you using this drive. I saw you setting up this drive. So I know firsthand he's telling the truth. For once. See? I did it. Now, I also wanted to point <laughs> out something else. Last episode, I was at Ryan's, and I got a GPU for him because he upgraded his GPU, so I got his older yeah. GPU, basically like a hand-me-down. And I'm okay with that because, I mean, it's a massive upgrade to what I had, so that's great. But... I just wanted to make sure everybody knows, as is tradition, don't worry. For everybody who is disappointed at the fact that I opened the other thing, still in the box. GPU is still in the in the box. You right have now. a 6700 <laughs> XT, one of the most sought-after video uh. cards, sitting at your house that people have been trying for years to get their hands on, and yeah. it's just sitting in a box. Yeah, for two weeks. And you've rendered a video. <laughs> My yes, baby, Wendy, my baby is sitting there alone in the dark inside of a it's box in now. Michael's moldy it's, it's, house. It's mine now. Michael doesn't deserve the hand-me-downs. I do. You know what? <laughs> Next time, Wendy, they're going to you. Whoa, whoa, Michael whoa, whoa, whoa. is abused a video card. I don't accept whoa, whoa. abuse of video cards on this show. How did this turn so badly so quickly? <laughs> no. You better get that card out of that box where it's scared and lonely and put it in a machine so it can become alive again and then give your card to someone else. It just keeps going. Like I feel there like you your card deserves to go to Wendy at the very least. I agree with that. I'm good with that. So are so, we agreeing on this show that Wendy's going to get your card? You know what? Yes. Yes, we are. Nice. So what card are you sending to Wendy then? Uh, Vegas 64. Heck yeah, right now I'm running an RX 580, so that's a massive upgrade to what I'm using. There we go. We have 
solved the world's problems this week. I know, Wendy, you've had a really <laughs> fun week, and uh, maybe the video card will make it a little better, but what have you been able to do in the hardware world? If any of you have been listening to Linux Out Loud, I've been talking a lot about my 3D printer lately. That's an Ender 5 Plus. I'm absolutely loving this machine. You can go listen to episode 16 where I talk about some of the upgrades that I've done for it. And one of the things that I bought when I bought those other upgrades was some more nozzles for it. And then they showed up and I started reading some more reviews on these cheaper nozzles that I bought. And a lot of people were complaining about how they weren't flowing really good. I put one on and I immediately was having problems where I wasn't really having any before. And I'm like, oh, that's the end. I'm taking this nozzle off and putting the one from Ender right back on it. Though I would like to run some of the more abrasive filaments and so I'm trying to decide if some of these more expensive nozzles are actually worth it or not. Slice Engineering has a hot end that I'm looking at. And they also sell what looks like some really nice nozzles. They run about $30, $35 for what they call their bridge nozzle. Supposed to be better for the bridging, all of that finer detail type stuff. And I just don't have any experience. I'm new to the 3D printer realm. And are these more expensive nozzles actually worth going ahead and getting? Question, are you having issues with your current nozzle set where it's not working correctly? Not too much. I am dealing with some, I don't know how to explain it. Like there's a little bit of spider webbing, but I am getting some extras in certain places that it shouldn't be there, so things might need a little better cleanup at times. But overall, I'm trying to have consistently good prints. Part of the problem right now, and anybody who's listened, like I said, to the Linux Out Loud before knows that it was originally in my bedroom. That didn't work because if you have long-term prints, nobody's sleeping as that dang thing <laughs> is running. I didn't have anywhere else for it to go. I didn't have another place cleaned out. So right now it's sitting on a granite countertop rolly carton thing in my dining room. And that's where it's done the last, I don't know, several weeks worth of prints, which isn't a great place for it to be either because the kids are constantly walking by and whatnot. It needs to be moved somewhere else. So I don't know if some of my current slight printing issues are dealing to just where the placement is right now or not. It's hard to say for sure. I do need to get it moved with some of the other stuff we have going on in life around the house at the moment. We're already doing some deep cleaning, so I'll definitely be making a new spot for this to go, and maybe that'll solve some of those problems. But I'm still curious if those more expensive nozzles are actually worth it or not. I've never invested in more expensive nozzles for my 3D printing, but I would be curious to know as well. And I know we have a lot of listeners that have 3D printers and a lot of experience with it. So if you know the answer and you're just chomping at the bit to give Wendy some advice on whether these nozzles are worth it, then head to tuxdigital.com, click on the forum link, and make sure to leave a note there on the forums and let us know if those nozzles are worth it. You have another new toy this week, and it's one that Nate is so frustrated that he doesn't have his hands on yet. That's the Steam Deck. Do you love it? 
I absolutely adore the Steam Deck. I was saying on Destination Linux that it blew away my expectations, and my expectations were through the roof. I already had this idea of how good this hardware was going to be, how good the software was going to be, because it's Arch. And then I got my hands on this and started playing with it, actually, while Michael was here at my house. And it's just been an absolute joy to utilize. One of the things and use cases for this device happened just today. A lot of times, my days are completely packed from morning to night with meetings and other things. It's hard for me to break away. But I set aside time to make sure that I'm able to play some games with the kids and do some family activities, even if I have to go back to work late at night. But with the Steam Deck, this made it really easy because I had this pocket of time that was available. I grabbed my Steam Deck, ran downstairs where my son has his room with the PlayStation and all that stuff in it. And I was like, let's play some Apex. And Apex, of course, is a AAA shooter game. Works beautifully on the Steam Deck. I had already had it pre-installed, so I just clicked start, got into the game, and was able to sit there on the couch while he's playing on the PlayStation 5. I was playing on my Steam Deck and play a game together with him. It was so much fun to do with this device. But the best part is, unlike a Nintendo Switch where the screen is really small, the controls have the floating issue that is known for the Nintendo Switch, and there you're really at a disadvantage playing against even people with a regular controller, unless the system's docked, the Steam Deck's controls are so tight and so crisp that I was actually able to play a really solid game of Apex beside him, even though he was on a giant 55-inch screen and I was on the Steam Deck screen. It's just such a solid machine. The controls feel like perfect in your hands where they should be. And for a first-person shooter, usually it's a death sentence to try to play those type of games on a portable system like that. But I didn't have any of those issues with this. I'm so excited to take the next step and dock this machine because you can also use the Steam Deck as a full desktop PC. So this creates all kinds of additional options. One of which I'm gonna be using is installing Lutris on it so that I can go ahead and install Overwatch and play that game as well because Lutris allows you to load Blizzard games even in a Linux environment. But as far as the hardware goes, the software, the gaming, it's just beautiful. It's gorgeous graphics. The screen is crisp. The controls feel right in your hand. I don't have enough good things to say about this device. It's just, it's exceeded all expectations. And I know this hurts you, Michael, to hear because you ordered yours at the same time as me, but won't be getting yours probably for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I just want to say it feels so good. Yeah. Okay. See, this is what's annoying is that I ordered mine an hour before you. So I get so I'm getting mine like two months after you. So that's not fantastic. And it, it said July to September, so I expect September is more likely. Fortunately, I did get to try your Steam Deck because I was there when it arrived, and that would have been incredibly infuriating if it had arrived like the day after I left. Yeah. That true. would have been so bad. So I did get to at least play with it. And I can say that what you were talking about with the controller and how like tight it feels and how good the controller feels is something that I was worried about because uh, honestly, I don't, I can't stand the Switch because that controllers are just, they're very jank. And I, I don't like using them whatsoever. 
So when I picked up the Steam Deck and actually was able to use the controllers in a way that I expected it and it was smooth and it didn't have a lot of drift or anything, that was surprising, but also what I was hoping for. And I can say that the little bit of time I spent with the Steam Deck does make me happy that they put in as much effort as they have to meet expectations and actually to go far, much farther past those expectations because I I was expecting a lot and it blew me away, especially with the, the fluidity of the interface and all the different options. And it, it didn't feel like they just took Steam on and put it on a, a console, like a handheld console. They actually made an entire interface and ecosystem built for the Steam Deck and it shows the quality and effort they put into it. Well, I mean... I will fully see it in a couple of months, but it, it the little bit of time I saw. What's sad is it will only be a couple of months for you to get it, but then you've got another couple of months for you to unbox it. So by the time we know <laughs> how much you enjoy this, it may be a year from now. I mean, that's crazy. Wendy will have hers by then. And she hasn't even ordered one, I don't think. <laughs> no, I didn't <laughs> order one. But if you're feeling super, super bad, Michael, you can always just send Nate a message it seems like every single episode, every single week, especially since Matt got his and he got the email to order his while we were recording the show. So it rubbed it into Nate like that much more. And on that mm. show, we're definitely known for our banter. So it's kept that going between the guys on top of that. And Nate is so jealous of everybody else that has theirs. So at least there's someone else with the crew that hasn't got that email yet saying it's time to order. You all could start your own podcast where you whine about not having a Steam Deck and then like yeah. throw darts at people like me that already have it and enjoying <laughs> it so much. Uh, I do want to mention, Sounds though, like too, a solid option. because we haven't covered this, I don't think, in depth, that the Steam Deck is fully repairable and fully upgradable. So on top of all of the things that I love about it, those two things are something that's very important to me with new hardware. And in fact, Steam or Valve partnered with iFixit to make sure that they had all the documentation and everything up on their page so that you would know how to get into the device to do those upgrades mm -hmm. or repairs if you needed to, which takes this amazing device just to a whole new level through the roof. I would take it over a Nintendo Switch any day, all day, every day. Oh, yeah, uh, easily. And especially since it uses the games you already have and you don't have to spend $60 per game like you do with the Switch. Right. That is awesome. And I can't wait to play Rocket League on this. I mean, I will have to wait. As we said, I have many months left. But it's weird that the more you pay for the Steam Deck, the longer you wait. Because most products do the opposite of that. Because I bought the highest tier and I... And three months after everyone else who's got who bought the cheaper tiers. So I, I get it though. It's because of the different screen and it's the only model that has that screen, so they're taking longer to build it. I understand. But at the same time, gimme my Steam Deck. <laughs> gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Something I don't have to wait for is the awesomeness that is DigitalOcean, because this episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. 
Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean offers lots of great features, but one of the things I love the best is that it has predictable pricing so you know what you're going to pay every single month. Plus, they have robust product docs and services that developers love. DigitalOcean also helps team regardless of the size. So if you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. It's actually better than free because with DigitalOcean, you're going to get a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. I want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So recently, one of my favorite things happened. Lisa Sue took the stage, and you know what Lisa loves to do when she takes the stage. She likes to announce something amazing, and that something amazing this time is the new Zen 4 AMD Ryzen 7000 family that was announced. And I'm all about AMD and all of the advancements that they have made in the x86 platform moving to the seven nanometer before anybody else using TSMC's seven nanometer technology and creating just an amazing experience for gamers and others out there. Well, this time Zen 4 was announced and guess what? It's based on TSMC's five nanometer technology. So we're shrinking it down even further, which is pretty awesome. The Zen 4 is similar to Zen 3 and it's including a chiplet based design with two core complex dies based on that five nanometer process we were talking about, but they also have new IO dies, which will go from 12 nanometers down to six nanometers. And the IO dies include things like your AMD RDNA 2 graphics, your DDR5 and PCI 5.0 controllers and those things. So everything's getting shrunken down. And what you can do when you shrink it down is you can add more cores and you can add other things as well, besides just cores like maybe AI acceleration hardware blocks, which is going to be a huge deal in the future. I mean, this is kind of emerging technology where a lot of software is now starting to take advantage of AI. We saw this similarly used with Apple. They have things like the neural engine and other things they talk about with the M1. And so we're getting those same type of concepts and things pushed onto this chip. So that more space we have, more space we can utilize for additional things like that and get more speed out of these things. So I'm very excited about this architecture, but I want to pause for a second and just get your opinion so far on what you've heard, Wendy and Michael, on Zen 4. Are you excited? Absolutely for me. I have really liked a lot of the stuff that they've put out and the difference that they've done as they've shrunken down the chip so far, I think has been an absolute wonderful thing. It has been fantastic technology. I have loved my AMD chip and I'm not even on Zen 4. So I bet these are going to be that much better. Like I am definitely excited to see the performance of these when they actually drop. You're not on even on Zen 3, I think either, right? You're on Zen 2? 
I'm on Zen 2. Yeah. So you have a couple of upgrades here that you could take advantage of if you were to move to the Zen 4 line, being that you haven't even experienced the awesomeness of Zen 3 yet. And Michael, I think you're also on a second generation Ryzen as well. Sam, I'm on a 2700X, so I think that's Gen 2. Right. No, I'm actually Gen 3. Because I am a generation newer than Michael when it comes to chips. Listen, as long as you're ahead of Michael. Right. I got the 3900X. <laughs> so I'm at least ahead of him on one thing. Nice. Well, now Very I need nice. to fix it. So I need to get a, a new CPU so that I can battle back. I, I, oh, I'm going to get a Threadripper. That's right. Get you a won't. Threadripper. It'll sit in a I, box I, anyways <laughs> for two years. Yes, that's probably true. I mean, I'll get it and then it'll just sit there. That's probably true. But... The 2700X has been pretty good for me. Hardware abuse. It has been really good for me, uh, though I have noticed some issues with, you know, some of my production stuff with rendering and things like that. So I would benefit a lot from a Threadripper. So I may consider that going forward. And by consider, I mean guarantee I will do it. When I will do it, that's a good question. I don't know. But in terms of this latest one with the Ryzen 7000 series, I can say definitively... Meh. Oh, really? Okay. No, I'm well, kidding. Let me, I'm totally let, kidding. Let me tell you this, then. <laughs> well, let me try to turn your meh into a, why well, I want one. That didn't work. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yes, Zen, perfect. The Zen 4 will come with one megabyte of L2 cache per CPU core, which is twice the amount of L2 cache is found on Zen 3. So you're getting a lot more cache. You've got your AI acceleration hardware block in the CPU core and AI-specific instructions to keep Zen on the forefront of all the emerging technology that utilizes this. This could help you with things like graphical design, art programs, and other things that take advantage of this. Also, the company is claiming five gigahertz plus max turbo clock speeds. In the demo that Dr. Sue did with this on a 16-core Ryzen 7000 chip boosting above 5.5 gigahertz which is a significant uplift from the sub five gigahertz speeds that we saw on like Ryzen 5000 chips and others. However, a lot of people were suspicious that this is just a single core and it makes sense that it would only be a single core boost, not all cores at once. I mean, that would be amazing, but I don't think that's what they were trying to show there, but still, it's still amazing. 5.5 gigahertz is still an amazing accomplishment, even on a single core but it would be really dope if they could accomplish that with all 16 cores, but the manufacturing process would have to be otherworldly probably at that point to achieve that. So the single core boost with their claim of greater than 15% single threaded performance uplift for the new CPUs kind of fits that 5.5 gigahertz area there that they're running into. It's still impressive speeds they're hitting. Yeah, so I, I was kind of kidding with the math thing, but I also didn't know much about the details. So... Uh, as you, as people, I'm the hardware Padawan still, so I'm working on that. But this stuff does sound fantastic. I mean, I the seven nanometers to five nanometers isn't that clear necessarily to me. However, I did, I do remember the episode we talked about what it is. So for those who are curious why a, the size of nanometer matters, you can check out that episode. We'll have linked in the show notes. But this is oh, also your analogy. I'm pretty sure you had an analogy that was about fast food, which was just. So good. So people yeah, definitely need to it check was it amazing. out. Just to, yeah, just to see his analogy of that. So, <laughs> but I am excited about this. 
But I feel like there's got to be at least some level of a caveat here because this sounds too fantastic in terms of power that there has to be something that's like a gotcha. There is. There's a couple gotchas here a little bit depending on if you're made of money or not. If you're made of money, no gotchas at all. It's just pure awesomeness. If you're not made of money, (laughs) which I would say is most of us, then unfortunately... This new technology also means we have to say goodbye to the very long run, the very graciously long run that AMD gave us with AM4 compatibility. Because this new lineup is going to require AM5 and thus X670 new motherboard for you to utilize it. Now, I know this is a bummer, but AM4 has, AMD has kept it along for a long ride for all of us, and we've enjoyed so many upgrades with it multiple generations of upgrades and it makes sense that with this new technology we've got to move to a new motherboard format and i'm not mad at amd for it by any stretch of the imagination but i will say this it creates an interesting opportunity for intel if they can really deliver on their 13th gen chips in a big way so at the point where you're trying to decide switching between AMD and Intel is very expensive. You've got to get a new motherboard. You've got to get a new processor. And so that's just a huge additional expense if you were trying to switch today saying, I want to try out what Intel has on the 12th gen or I want to switch from Intel to AMD. But because AMD is kind of with this new technology at a point where they're like, you're going to have to get a new motherboard anyways, it does offer an opportunity for people who are going to upgrade to be like, well, maybe I want to try this Intel 13th gen chip at this point because I'm going to have to get a new motherboard. I'm going to have to get a new CPU anyways. And so that's an opportunity, I think, for Intel to basically jump on to see if they can get some of the market back and some of the hype back that they've lost with their prior generations. The other gotcha I'll mention, Michael, is the fact that you're going to have to upgrade your memory, which is another additional expense. This doesn't give an advantage to Intel or AMD, but you're going to have to go DDR5. It's not backwards compatible, and DDR5 memory is really expensive. In fact, before the show, I was looking it up, and for 32 gigabytes of DDR5 memory, you're looking at $259.00 up to $309, and if you want 64 gigabytes, you're looking at $549, which adds yet another expense on top of this. So you need new memory, new CPU, and a new motherboard in order to complete one of these upgrades, and that is pretty pricey. That is a massive price when it comes to upgrades, and another thing that you need to think about when going through this upgrade process, whether you're going to upgrade or not at all, beside the price is last time I saw the DDR5 numbers as far as RAM speeds and performance really wasn't any better than DDR4 because it was a new technology. It was going to take some time for software to kind of catch up with what was going on with the hardware. So you might want to wait a little bit longer for that reason too. Yeah, you're seeing some speeds increase, but DDR4 speeds are from like 1.6 to 3.2 gigabytes per second. DDR5 is anywhere from 4.8 to 8.4, and that's a big jump, right? 4.8 to 8.4. And what you're seeing out there in the market right now, to Wendy's point, is around 5,400 megahertz and those things. You don't have anybody hitting that high-end spectrum yet, and I'm sure you will, because as everybody switches to DDR5, all the manufacturing is going to switch to DDR5, 
The prices will likely start to fall along with that because right now there's just a small amount of consumers out there. So that's going to create a much higher price on it. And they're probably not very efficient at developing it either right now. So that's going to factor into it. There's also some concerns people have. There's a new power architecture for DDR5. Basically, the power management moves from the motherboard to the DIMM itself, which is going to be interesting to see if there's any challenges that come with that. And there's additional issues with they're going to be higher speeds, but lower voltage. So they're going to need to make sure that the motherboards and DIMMs can handle these higher signal rates and everything else. So there's going to be some problems, in other words, that need to be worked out. And I wouldn't want to be the first person to go grab a brand new motherboard, brand new memory and this chip until they work some of that out and to Wendy's point, maybe improve some of the speeds that they're going to get out of that as well. I know people don't think that I'm an early adopter and they are correct. I will be waiting on this one for a while. Until I hand it down to you. You're In not 10 wrong. years, Michael will have DDR5. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I assume he's going to be getting it before then. And then about you know two years, he's going to be bored of it and have to get another whole set of everything. And I'll be like, okay, I'll take it now. Uh, so that's my plan. <laughs> <laughs> and then you could come on Hardware Patience. Addicts and talk about it like it's brand new. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I like I got this whole new set of hardware that we've never talked about before. <laughs> but I am excited about it. I think there's a lot of cool stuff with this cuz you were you're talking about the PCIe 5.0 stuff that you're going to have to have support for, right? And didn't like Intel jump from the 3.0 to 5.0? Right. And in that case, mm -hmm. it's kind of like they're battling back again with you know, trying to have the latest and greatest. And I think that's awesome because having both AMD and Intel putting all of their chips in is just better for everybody. I mean, obviously, when the prices come to normal states, that's going to be better, of course. Right. But just the fact that they we're having competition on this level is just fantastic to see. Yeah, there's a lot of advantages coming. So with the PCI 5.0, you get 24 lanes instead of the typical 16 lanes that you see today. It's going to support 14 to 20 gigabyte per second USB ports, which is just insane to think about that per second, transferring that much data. Wow. Wi-Fi 6E support. And the integration of the integrated graphics is going to support up to four display outputs. So this is a very what? powerful machine, and you're not going to have to have a separate GPU initially, unless you're a gamer or something high-end gamer, in order to run it. So that will save you some cost in there. And you actually won't have to get a new cooler. The AM4 coolers will be compatible with the new motherboard. So if you have a current cooler that you love and you spent some dough on, you can transfer that right over to your new X670 motherboard out there. And there's a bunch of companies already announcing and talking about their specific motherboard that they have for this new platform. So I think it's very exciting. We're gonna have to wait sometime between September and November before it hits the market. So just in time to add it to your Christmas list, tell your family, this is what you want. You just need a couple thousand dollars worth of upgrades. I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> the kids can do without this year. Uh, but yeah, Intel is also ridiculous. expected to have their 13th gen chips. So the best part of this to Michael's point is the processor war is back on. And I'm not sure which side of it I'm going to land on, to be honest. And that's a fun thing to say. I kind of love that. I know exactly what side I'm going to be landing on. Whatever you land on a year later. <laughs> that's, that's what I'll be landing on. I make the decision for you. 
fall is going to be a crazy interesting time as these chips are dropping and they're hitting different test benches and the like, and we're actually seeing numbers come out. We know what they say right now, but when AMD and Intel are going head-to-head with those chips in hand, that's going to be a lot of fun, and we'll definitely be revisiting this topic then. Yeah, because I'm actually excited about the idea. Like, I love this, and you know I love Lisa Sue and AMD, but I'm excited about potentially doing an all-Intel build with an Intel GPU, an Intel CPU, like just do all Intel and see what kind of power I can get out of it. I mean, it all depends on how much Intel can, and if they can deliver on time Intel and uh, see what they have right. in their bag of tricks. But I would be interested in trying Intel for a while because it's been many years now since I've run Intel outside of a laptop. I'm also really impressed by the fact that the the integrated graphics, the onboard graphics, is going to be able to do as many outputs. I assume that that means that the onboard GPU is going to be powerful enough where you said it has like four displays, but also I would assume they could do like basic gaming. So you you, you mentioned that a dedicated GPU would not be necessary. Kind of in awe that they even got to the point where the onboard GPUs are remotely usable because previously it's always been kind of a joke of saying that, Yes, an onboard GPU is there, but you might as well not even bother because if you want to play games, then it's just going to be be like the most basic you can have or like the lowest resolution you can have. And this sounds like it has the potential to kind of flip that completely. And that is just so, so surprising that that's one of the things that are is the most surprising to me about this particular thing because the other stuff is very, very cool. But integrated graphics has always been something when you see it, you're like, eh, sure. But like, no, thanks. And this seems like it could be a solution. I mean, I'd still want to get a GPU just because, but the fact that you don't have to, that's very cool. Yeah. And if you look at the current lineup from AMD, the UM 700, or you even look at the Steam Deck, Vega graphics have come a long way and they can handle today up to four times 4K displays which is very impressive. So they're taking that technology, and I think it's one of the only good things that's come from the GPU shortage is the fact that CPU manufacturers are now like, hey, we need to make sure we're including an ability to actually boot a system in case people can't get a hold of GPUs anymore. But they can do more than that. They can do more than just what the prior integrated chips could do, which was basically display a web browser, uh, support a basic monitor resolution, and do some basic things, but no gaming or no rendering or anything else. But these new lines of integrated GPUs are at a whole new level. And I think that's awesome. That puts some competition as well back on the GPU market that they can't just release iterative upgrades. They need to have really impressive stats for somebody to go out and pick up a brand new GPU or separate GPU, considering the price and cost of everything out there as well. So yeah, it's definitely a really cool thing they're doing. Man, I can't wait to get whatever you get bored of it's gonna be great (laughs) you're gonna have the best system you ever had that's right and something that is absolutely the best is bitwarden bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentications such as master passwords and adding phrases to fingerprint security all to keep your passwords safe Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. 
Say you just absolutely fall in love with Bitwarden like I have and want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator, Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com tux to get started for free. If you're like me though, and you wanna show your appreciation for this awesome open source product that starts at just $10 per year, make sure you're going to bitwarden.com tux. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us, should we go retro, yay or nay? This is quite an interesting find, and I had to bring it to you guys. This isn't digital. This is a film camera. You gross. Do I have you intrigued yet? Okay, a little bit. Gross. Intrigued, but also, <laughs> also like that's cool. But then I have to deal with the film, so I'm like maybe not. So let's see. You do where have this to goes. deal with the film. Now this is a half frame camera, which is a little interesting when you hear. It. What does that actually mean? It means that the camera will take two images on one piece of full frame 35 millimeter film. So each section of that film will end up with two images on it. Hmm. They're all more in a vertical alignment. Kind of interesting, right? Then this has a 22 millimeter lens, a pretty wide lens with an f-stop of 9.8. So it's letting in not as much light as a lot of others, but it should be able to give you focus for a long range. You're not going to be doing anything extra artsy-fartsy with it, right? You're not going to have a lot of fun bokeh in the background, but you can use it for being able to see distance with this. It has two element optics made from acrylic. It has a set shutter speed of 100 seconds. So you have 100% built-in auto. Everything is getting the exact same focal length, the exact same f-stop, and the exact same shutter speed. There's no change in that. The flash is built in and you can turn that on or off. You don't have to use it. It's powered by one AAA battery, just one. Dimensions are 4.3 inches wide by 2.4 inches high and just an inch and a half deep. This is tiny weighs about 100 grams, super light. It can be super light because it's mostly built out of ABS. And this is the kicker. You are talking about super expensive stuff, Ryan. This comes in at just $49.99. Well, I would hope so, considering it's film. Why would I want a film camera? You don't want to throw a film camera into the bag, something that's this inexpensive, and pack it with you. You don't want to have the joy of having film made into images. Well, let me ask you a couple questions first. Maybe I'm being too okay. negative here. Get it? Negative? That was pretty good. Maybe I'm being too ah. negative. Wow. Can I, can I <laughs> vlog with the camera? No. Can I use it as a webcam? No. Can you use it for video at all? No. It is only film. And so it takes two pictures per 35 millimeter segment, which is kind of cool. Right. Like I see some of the video they're showing here, and that is kind of neat. 
that it does that and it's retro, but why not just go buy a retro camera and throw some film in it? They do have, and we have talked about mirrorless cameras that have all kinds of features and have a retro look. They definitely cost a whole lot more. That's one of the, I guess, the upsides of this one is the price range. So you can have a retro look. You can look stylish with the in thing going retro and not have to spend so much on a digital camera. This is kind of cool though, because now I'm picturing myself walking into a Starbucks. I've got my retro camera. I've got my vinyl record right? player, my boom box, right? my MacBook, because mm -hmm. I write stories on it, because I'm a story writer all of a sudden. And I would be the coolest hipster in the Starbucks. You have to have the ponytail though. Do you have the ponytail oh, yeah. or the man bun? And the suspenders with the yes. uh, flannel shirts. <laughs> and uh, you also had to be carrying a MacBook at the same time. So you gotta, your totally hands would be hipster. pretty full. Yeah. But yeah. It, it'd, be, it'd be worth it for sure. It'd be worth it. You could, you could use this to get the photos that you need to use to demonstrate your screenplay that you're writing, obviously, at the Starbucks. <laughs> so this is interesting, all joking aside. Like the camera is a throwback, even in the colors that they're utilizing and the look of it. Right. Is very cool. Like you got that kind of brown and that sage green. And of course, your traditional black, but just the overall look of the camera is very retro in itself. I see if people really like film, and I know there's neat things you could do with film that are much more difficult to replicate in a digital format. But could you do those things with this level of camera, a $49 camera, of being able to utilize some of the advantages that film offers over digital with that price point? I would say no, and that's because you are locked into so much. I have a couple old film cameras, that one really cool old Nikon camera, an old Minolta camera, and the advantages to them is not only can you get some really cool looks with film that, yeah, you can replicate them on digital camera. It just takes another skill level, especially where you can't look at the back of it to see if you got it right. But some of that's negated where you can't change the lens, you can't change the f-stop, so you're not changing how much light is coming into the background. And having the ability to change the lens, and not only does your f-stop adjust how much light you're coming in, it also adjusts your depth of field. It is definitely a use of artistic vision, a use of how do I want this image to come out with and you don't have that at all when it comes to this camera. It's $50 for a reason. It's extra lightweight. You have an acrylic lens. I would be super afraid that this would get scratched incredibly easy. And then you're done. You're not taking pictures at all anymore because it doesn't have the hardness of glass. And once that lens is scratched, there's no changing it. And it is what it is. I also worry about the 100 millisecond shutter speed because with an f9.5, you're already limiting the amount of light you have coming in and then a relatively fast shutter speed on top of that. And I would worry that there's going to be a lot of images that are really dark or blurry. I noticed in their samples of pictures here, all of them are outside with a bright sun right. shining through. There's nothing 
there's literally not a single picture demo here of anybody inside or in a room or anything else. So you're going to need a lot of light coming in. You're not going to have a lot of opportunity to take this into a party or something else. Might even be too low light for a Starbucks, Michael. And then what's the point if you can't show how retro you are? I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, you could put it on the table and just demonstrate it that way. So that's true. An option to have like decoration value. $50 for a decoration piece is not that bad. Here's my guess as to what happened, Wendy. Kodak's like, dang it, we're not making money like we used to. Canon and everybody, Nikon, all they're making all these fancy cameras. Sony's coming in, dominating. What has happened? Why can't we make money like we used to? So then they go and find an old retired executive from the 80s, and they're like, hey, how did Kodak make so much money back then? And they're like, film? Film cameras are the way to go. And then they come and they release this $49 film camera saying, I think this is it. We're going to bring film back. But I feel like it's misguided. Yeah, I don't think it'll do as good as they would like it to. Would I love to get my hands on one and play with it? Yeah, but I don't think I would be willing to spend even $50 on something like that just because all the limitations. At first, it was like, oh, it'd be kind of fun to hand it to the kids. And then the more I thought about it, the more I looked at the specs associated with it, I really don't think it would last long, uh, especially where most of my kids have the same ability as Magneto to just break stuff and it would be gone within an hour and then it was just a waste of $50 and or all of the pictures would be completely black. There wouldn't be anything in them, nothing visible. So while I like some of the concept, Kodak, I really don't think this is the way to go. Maybe they're looking at it the at the aspect of doing an entry level film camera. So someone who wants to play around with using film to create photos, this could give them a really easy starting point versus going out to getting a true retro camera because they, while they're old cameras, they probably still are pretty pricey. Not really. If you want to go to your local pawn shop, you can pick up many of these old school film cameras with lenses for pretty gosh dang cheap because everybody's gone digital. So yeah, generations have passed away. This stuff is now going into pawn shops and they're for the most part having a hard time moving it. I would say if you want to try film, go and get an old school film camera. It'd be better with your money. I agree with that. And I actually like the concept in general that Kodak was trying here of, hey, let's bring film back and show some of the advantages film could have over digital. Some of the neat things you can do with film that is more difficult to replicate in a digital format or you have to do a lot of post-processing and other things to get similar effects. But this isn't it. This is like everything opposite of that. It's just, hey, let's create this really cheap, film camera that we're going to throw out on the market for 49 bucks that people are probably going to buy that camera person in their life. Like I could see myself like walking through the mm -hmm. store. Had you not told me about this and been like, Oh, I need to get a gift for Wendy. Oh, look, a 35, $40 film camera. This kind of looks cool. And I still can't read the specs and it looks like it has an auto mode. Let me send it to Wendy. So I feel <laughs> like a lot of photographers are going to get this as a gift begrudgingly but I like the concept that Kodak had here of what if they took this and brought back a really powerful film camera and started making and producing that. I would be way more interested 
than something like this that, in my opinion, somebody's going to take it and go, God, I wish I would have spent that $49 and put it as a down payment towards a digital camera. Right. I'm not saying you can't make good images with this camera because you absolutely can. But it's one of those things if you're not paying attention to your light, if you're not paying attention to how fast is this thing moving in front of me, people are going to get really, really frustrated not capturing what they were going for. Well, Wendy, I know you were trying to get us to say yay or nay. So I officially want to go on record. I know this is going to be shocking and say, heck nay. (laughs) And Michael? I will go on record and say both. Nay to this, but yes, I do want a retro style thing from Sony, like a mirrorless retro camera. That would be pretty dope. A mirrorless retro camera. I don't think that could work. Sure it can. It It just looks retro, but it has all the important parts that the Sony mirrorless cameras have now. Just put it in a retro looking body, and that's what I'm talking about. So like, you Mm. get the best of both worlds. It looks like you you can have the hipster vibe when you go to the coffee shops, but at the same time, it's still useful. I like it. It's like a sleeper camera. Exactly. It's a stealth retro hipster camera. We've actually talked about cameras similar to this. I think they were made by Lycra, that they are this modern mirrorless camera on the inside, but they have that really cool old school look on the outside. Definitely doable. Well, that's more the type of camera I would like to pick up because I still want all of the Starbucks fame, but all of the technology that a mirrorless camera brings. (laughs) And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all the amazing content on the Tux Digital Network. Head to TuxDigital.com and check out all the amazing podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show. and We'll see you next time for... In fact, Zen for another picture-perfect episode of Hardware X. 